welcome back to episode four of the podcast. So just letting you guys know, this is not the part of the trilogy episode that finished with part three or episode three of season two. This is going to be um, an episode. It's just going to be one episode of the topic. So our topic today is the Russo-Japanese War, which happened in 1904 to 1905. Now, this war is interesting because this shaped Asian-European relations, per se, and how Japan was became an imperialistic empire. So before the war happened, we have the Meiji Restoration, in which Japan modeled their navy after the British and their army after the Americans. And then we're basically just trying to westernize and modernize with Europe and North America. So this war right here essentially got Japan the respect of the Europeans. Like, sure, they were getting donations. They were getting, not donations, they were getting helpful insights from the British and Americans, but still, com- like, compared to the rest of the European continent, they didn't see the Japanese and Asian nations as general as equal nations compared to their own European nations. But first, I think we let's introduce some overall how the war went in our timeline. So, Nick, you want to go with this? In order to understand the origins of the Russo-Japanese War, we must look to another war that occurred 10 years earlier. The first Sino-Japanese War that occurred from 1894 to in which would later be annexed in 1910. However, this would also lead to increasing Russian influence in Manchuria. This would cause a divide between the Russians and the, and the Japanese over this area. Before 1904, Japan and Russia came to the, the negotiation table based on this idea. Japan proposed a split of Manchuria. Southern Manchuria would be under Japanese influence, while Northern Manchuria would be under Russian influence. However, after being denied at the negotiation tables by Russia, Japan had only one option, the attack of Port Arthur. This effectively sunk most of the ships in in port at the time. And furthermore, this would also lead to the beginning of the Russo-Japanese War. Throughout the course of this, Japan proved their military superiority both on land and in the naval aspect, especially the naval aspect. First, we had the Battle of Mukden from February to March of 1905. This actually was one of the most bloodiest battles in modern history. However, the result is a major Japanese victory as it led to the Japanese occupation of Southern Manchuria while the Russian army retreated to the Northern part of Manchuria. However, those losses were so big that Japan couldn't really have a big victory over land. They They couldn't just take over Manchuria. This resulted to a decisive naval conflict known as the Battle of Tsushima. This is due to the previous bombing of Port Arthur. As a result of the attack, the Russians sent over their Baltic fleet, and they finally arrived on May 27th near the Straits of Tsushima. However, the smaller, more technologically advanced Japanese ships utterly destroyed the bigger Russian fleet. It is actually very important to note that at the time, Japan actually had their own radios on the ships. Meanwhile, the Russians were actually still using German radios at the time, so they weren't so familiar with what was going on. You also must note Russian society during this time period, as Russia was mainly a authoritarian monarchy system, and this also gave preference to nobles in military positions. 
And it's actually noted in multiple sources I found that Russian officers in the Navy, navies actually tended to be German of German ancestry somewhat. This left talented sailors in lower ranks, unlike the Japanese military at the time, which promoted based off of merit and how regular armies nowadays are promoted. That's the results of the original Russo-Japanese War. An emphatic Japanese victory, which allowed for the spheres of influence over Manchuria and Korea, basically also while basically also proving to the Europeans that they weren't so high and mighty, and there was a new empire in the east, the rising sun coming to power. Yeah, that's a great explanation, Nick. Thank you for that. Um, so as we can tell from that, one of the easiest ways the Russians could have let's just say, avoided a bloody law or loss would have been to accept that treaty that the Japanese were saying. So what the Japanese, what the proposal was, that they would split their spheres of influence. I believe the Japanese would take Korea, while the Russians would take Manchuria. So as Nick said, there was some racial sentiment. Um, with all European nations in general, that they were superior, their nations were better compared to Asian nations, and so they felt that they could easily crush the Japanese, which obviously they were proven wrong. So one of the easiest ways that the Russians could, let's just say, not lose the war, it wouldn't be a win, obviously, because there would be no war, but they wouldn't lose it either, would have been to accept that treaty and to just accept those spheres of influence. Because there's still more than what happens after the consequences of this war. Because this war essentially moves Russia back to their, their more modern territory. And Japan gets a sphere of influence on Manchuria as well. So yeah, um... Taj, what do you let's just go with this theory right now where Russia actually accepts this treaty. Taj, what do you propose will happen in like the near near future based off this treaty? So the first thing that comes up to my mind is that uh the Russian people will be pissed of this treaty because I feel like even though the treaty would save uh Russia from losing a lot of troops and losing a lot of influence over China, this whole war was about like like about pride of the people and like prestige. And if like Russia accepts this treaty, it's like, oh, Russia is accepting influence from a lower country because the Russian people thought they were above Japan. Yes, in our reality, they lost to Japan. But also if in an alternate the alternate history, if they accept this treaty, it will make no difference than our reality of losing Japan. And then my second thing that comes up to my mind is that Japan wouldn't have total influence over China, which you guys talked a little about in like the previous like conversation, because Japan beating Russia gave them total influence, but this treaty gives them a balance and it will change like the like the political climate of like China itself. And it's like very hard to like depict each detail detail of how china is going to go because like china blew up right like china could not stay as an empire and a lot of warlords took a lot of territories and created their like small bits of nations right with japan mostly had an influence and china did not like uh japan having so much control over the region and we all know happens during before pre-world war ii but with russia having some influence from this treaty, it's very hard to say. So what do you guys think about that, Rohan? Um, so yeah, the Russian population will be pissed. I think you mentioned this. No, see, 
my thought, thought process for that was this. Um, again, Europeans have the sentiment that their nation is stronger than an Asian nation. So by just accepting a treaty, when in their eyes it's a war that they could easily win and they can get better terms, why would they do that? So I think the Russian public would be pissed. But so I believe in 1906 or 1905, the first Russian revolution happens against um, yeah, it was Tsar 1905. Nicholas. You're right. Yeah, you're right. It's 1905. No, no, you're right. You're right. It's 1905. That's because that's when the Duma was. Yeah, but so the Russian Revolution in our timeline in 1905 happened, and it had a lot of sentiment against the Tsar because of this terrible loss of the war. So by taking a treaty, they wouldn't really... People would be pissed, yes, no doubt, but it's not going to be the same amount of anger as if losing a war against an Asian nation again. So I still believe the Russian Revolution happened, but it's not going to have the same amount of support, which is a big thing. Could it change the future of Russia? I don't think so, but I definitely think it could alter some events of the Russian Revolution and stuff. Um, second part, Tad was talk you were talking about Chinese influence between the Russians and the Japanese. See, you forgot to mention that China during this time, China would have gone to war with Russia actually, because the Sino the Sino Russian War happened. Yeah, but like. Okay, what I'm trying to say here is that China does not like Russia on their borders, you know, increasing settlement on the borders. But China is just in a terrible place right now. Unlike Japan, which was able to deal with Westernization properly, China is just being, let's just say, abused by Western powers. The United Kingdom and France, they're just basically exploring the Chinese um, trade values, like the opioid, opium wars. I'm pretty sure that happened before, but that gave the British favor. Yeah, you're right. It happened, it happened during a lot before. That's early during, I'm pretty sure it was early during uh, Queen Victoria's reign. But you, you also forgot about other countries like Germany, Portugal actually had Macau. Oh, yeah, that's right. They had Macau, yep. And, I'm and pretty uh, sure fun fact, Austria-Hungary actually had a colony in uh, China. China. Yeah. They were one of the eight, I think they were one of the eight participating nations in, the, in repelling the Boxer Rebellion. Wow, well, that's yeah, a big part. Just... That's a big part too. That was that we that I left unmentioned. And the Boxer Rebellion recently, around recently around four years ago, happened, and so the Japanese were pretty pissed off about that. That they didn't get much out of it. Yeah, so that that definitely shows that China is just in such a terrible place right now. That I think Russia is the least of their influences because unlike the other ones, Russia isn't actually inside their country per se. Their rightful land, you know, they're like their rightful heartland. What do you say, Nick? Well, no, I, I think you say a good points, like I said before. But my idea is, I just want to ask you a quick question, Rohan. Were you referring to the to the first revolution in 1905? You're talking about the November the revolution. October, October, October revolution, my bad. Um, the 1905. Okay, 1905. Yeah. Okay, no, I just wanted to make sure that well, it wasn't successful in some ways. Yeah, I think it got like think the word that word out. Yeah, but no, I, I do think that it would still happen in this. Uh, I do believe it would still happen in this scenario because if they, if you compromise to a country that's viewed as, in this case, racially inferior, I don't think a lot of people would be happy about that. Okay. Like for like for example, it's like if the United States of America decided to bend over to uh, I don't know Syria, Angola, <laughs> or, or Syria, Angola, yeah. yeah, or Syria. It's one any, any nation really, any nation you could say, any small nation. Like you could say Luxembourg even if you wanted to. But yeah. That's but besides that though, I I was trying to reply what Tej said before, especially with his first one. I kind of agree with that. 
because he actually because he actually had a lot of good points about that i was uh he didn't have he didn't leave much for me to say yeah i think Taj explained it really well another see what i think though i still think that the 1905 revolution in this alternate timeline will be less successful than the one it was in our timeline like it's still, yeah, it's still happen. the word will still be out but it's going to be different there's gonna be less hatred for the czar yeah, I think it's more. It kind of also proved Tsar Nicholas II's military incompetency that would be later demonstrated in World War One. So I think that's a that's mm-hmm. kind of a keynote to the. Just in case we decide to go into another scenario, which we will be actually, as a matter of fact, what if it turned into a war in Russia one? Right. So now I feel like that the thing with the peace treaty is that there's not much to discuss because obviously the sentiment will still be there. It just. There'll be less sentiment, but I feel like for the most part, history is going to be similar because, as Nick said, yeah, Czar really changes. Ni- yeah, Czar Nicholas's military incompetence is still going to be there. I mean, sure, Russia's going to have their influence in Manchuria, so that's going to definitely Asian politics are going to be slightly different. But I feel like it'll be more interesting if we talk about Russians somehow winning the war. So I feel like the way we should set this up is that. This is probably super I think it's kind of hard. If you're talking about realistically, though, I'm, I'm yeah, sorry realistic. to interrupt, but I just want to say, realistic. realistically, it's, all, it's impossible if you look at in terms of Russian naval culture at the time, because like I mentioned before, that several of the naval officers were from high-ranking noble classes, and a lot of them were actually of German ancestry. And I find that pretty interesting because in, in maritime cultures, they tend to be a, a superior form of navy. For example, we have Britain, who is known for having a a very excellent navy. You know, Britannia rules the na- waves, as they say. Japan is also another great example. One of the in this case, I just wanted to say one of the greatest uh, Russian admirals died during the war, which caused him to lose more naval battles. And he was actually uh, his name was Admiral Markov. He was like he was known as like a good Russian uh, naval. I know, no, I, I know. That, I understand what you mean there. I'm just saying that if we look in terms of this, yeah, if we're looking at it in terms of, so what you were saying before, with specifically with Admiral Markov, it's really because of the fact that they lost when they lost one of their greatest admirals. Who are they going to replace them with? To be honest, because it's really throughout history. If you don't have a great maritime culture, such like England, you don't have a great navigatory culture. I should say England, Denmark. Like nobody knows a Russian colony except what. Alaska. Everybody knows what an English colony is. America, USA, Canada, India, you can name anyone really. Even the Spanish, French, heck, even the Portuguese probably you could name. But Russia was not known for maritime culture, and I think this we should really factor this in. So that's why I don't think it's this is like a really realistic scenario, but I think it's a much more interesting scenario. Yeah, so let's just say, for some unknown reason, the nobles that are the admirals are military competent, and their navy is also competent. Don't ask me why, but they mean like more technologically. You mean like more technologically up to date? Because it's yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, modernization. I was talking more about military strategy, but yeah, that too, definitely. It wasn't really more of military strategy. It was kind of military strategy, but also at the same time, it was because of a lack of modernization. Because I feel as if for example, the most important battle of the war, Tsushima, the Battle of Tsushima. If the Russians had modern radio sets instead of using German ones, like I mentioned before, and actually knew how to operate, 
I should also mention that the Russian crews were actually undertrained for this battle. And just in general, they were undertrained in the Navy in old warships. I do think that if they were if they at least modernized and reformed their Navy, as they did try to in 1884, I believe the, the year was, 1884, they tried to pass a bunch of naval reforms, but they failed. So I feel like it's just because of the fact of a lack of modernization in the naval field on part of Russia. That's why I think they primarily lost. Yeah, and compared to Japanese, yeah, and compared to like the Japanese new navy, right? That makes sense. Yeah, you also have to look at the Japanese. Like I said before, the Japanese were pretty navigatory people. Japanese pirates were actually feared throughout the course of the Middle Ages because of the fact that they were able to uh, navigate so well. Because they raided a lot of towns in China, as a matter of fact. Because uh, I forgot which town it was, for example, but. I was reading something up on it. I know this is kind of like off topic, but this relates back to the whole navigatory culture in terms of what Japan has. China had had like a very small quaint village. I don't remember what the town was. I just read it up somewhere while I was researching for this. And I found it particularly interesting because before the year of 1398, there was not really any uh, major fortifications in this town. But when Japanese pirates started to raid it, it started to be, and it's, I assume it had to be pretty frequently. They really started to build the, the defenses. It's some pretty populated modern city nowadays, but I don't remember exactly what it is though. So I think we should keep that as a note because the Japanese have a history of being a navigatory culture, and I think that's, like I said, I think that's the most important thing in this war because the Battle of Tsushima won the war. Like I mentioned before, the Battle of Mukden didn't exactly win the war for the Japanese. In fact, it probably prevented them from winning the war. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're right about that. Like, admirals and tech. Because Russia... The thing about Russia is in the early 20th century, they're just so outdated, like, unindustrialized compared to the rest of the West. And even now the Asian nations, too, with the Meiji Restoration and Japan. It's just... Yeah. But let's just say that the Russians won that battle. And now they've won the war. Well, the treaty, I feel like... The Russians would definitely. I don't think they'd be able to take all of Korea, but I think they take off. I think they take influence of all, over all of Korea. Yeah, I agree. They'll it's not. Take it's not let's be on. They wouldn't take over all of Korea in terms of a uh, land holding land. It's more in terms of a puppet state putting place yeah, for Korea. I agree. Pro, uh, it wouldn't 100%. make any sense for it wouldn't make any sense for Japan to hold anything outside of maybe Taiwan because I don't think the Russians gave two hootenannies about. Taiwan. So I think Taiwan would still be a Japanese possession, but otherwise I do think that there would be Russian client states installed in both Korea and Manchuria, and it actually solidifies Russian presence. And this could and this also affects European diplomacy because before World War One, Russia and China not Russia and China, Russia and Britain were not on the best terms. They've historically been against each other ever since Russia was right nearby the British Raj. And now with this, with this win over a, a British ally, I think this creates major concern, which could in fact infect affect World War One. What, what's your opinion on the treaty, though, in terms of what you were saying, Rob? Um, I mean, yeah, I could definitely see them. You're right; they could take all of Korea. But what I was saying was that they obviously have Manchuria. Like they would have had that original treaty if there was no war. Then what I was saying personally, they would take half of Korea, like maybe North Korea, like the 39th parallel, like in our timeline, <laughs> or they could go deep south. And as you guys said, they could take all of Korea. And yeah, yeah it I know. solidifies Russian, um, sorry, uh, solidifies Russian presence in the country. And it shows that the Russians, 
I here to stay in the Far East. And I think it also boosts Russian trade too, because one of the main reasons that the Russians had a port, Port Arthur, in case you don't know, is actually a port on a warm, Chinese yeah, soil. Warm, yeah, warm, yeah, warm seaport. That's what that's yeah. what the big reason was about having it. Yeah, yeah, because Vladivostok, which is the home of the Russian fleet today, I believe, is not um, warm weather actually in winter. It's some of the waters frozen over. So Port Arthur, Arthur. The whole purpose of it was to allow Russian trade to the Pacific, even during the winter. I was actually going to talk about Port Arthur and how um, Russia keeping Wait, that, that Port, Port Arthur would. Port Arthur, no, there, there's no way if the Russians win that war, there's no way they're giving up any territory. It, it would make zero sense. It, it makes zero sense in a war in general. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say. I was going to say how keeping Port Arthur and this alternate history is going to change a lot for like Russian trade and influence over the east yeah that's true yeah and i totally agree with you rohan what your points were because port arthur was a very uh, important port and the battle that took and our reality of like the siege of port arthur was like a yeah, very it was big surrendered battle. in 1905 january 1905 yeah yep I totally I was agree. Port arthur. And that was it and because uh specifically i was while i was researching as a matter of fact it was it was actually in Madagascar when the Ru- when the Russian Baltic fleet leader found out where that the surrender of Port Arthur, which was pretty interesting to me. I just wanted to mention that random fact out there. But Let's regardless, see. though, I don't I like I know what you're saying about Korea, but it just makes no leg- it just makes no sense for Russia to take only half of Korea. It, it, w- it does not make any sense to me, at least. Yeah, I, I mean, it go either way. No, I I think that Russia will puppet all of Korea. One of my biggest point is that Korea is not also so much value where you just split it into halves. I think no, the only reason why it was the only reason why it was even split in half is because of the fact that the Russians. And I'm talking about in terms of World oh, War so II, natural history, yeah, because the Russians invaded it. Exactly. I think that, you either yeah, keep exactly. all of Korea or you leave Korea to Japan, and Russia is gonna is gonna take it. So. Yep. Yeah, the reason why I say that is it's not because if it was this took place in 1915, I think it's a different scenario because by that point Korea was annexed into the Japanese Empire. But now since it's only a, a client state at the time, I don't think it makes any sense at all for the the J- Japanese to even hold all of Korea by the end of the war. I think rather they surrender it all. I mean, yeah, definitely. But one thing I wanted to mention, I was just thinking about while you guys were discussing, how would this affect Japanese imperialization ambitions. Like, obviously, now they don't have a direct access to China, I think. And with World War One, I, I think the Japanese could join an opposite side of the Russians in order to get back Korea. I was also thinking that for, I, I don't even think that for Japan. I think the bigger issue could potentially be Britain, actually. Now, the reason why I mentioned this is that despite the Brit, the Germans being incredibly dumb. They're, they're, I'm going to be honest here. Kaiser Wilhelm II really screwed over Germany because but let, let's just take this a little bit back. This gets back to the, the point of why Britain's so important in this scenario. It's really just because of the fact that Kaiser Wilhelm II had so many options left open to him by Bismarck, and he just threw it all away. Example A, the German-Russian alliance. If you guys don't know, in 1895, Bismarck actually secured an alliance between Germany and Russia. Which, which, if you know World War One, is a pretty huge uh, part of it, actually, as a matter of fact. But, you know, Kaiser Wilhelm said, eh, don't care. And he just threw it all away. However, 
in this scenario, I don't if if we do see Britain getting involved in World War One, which I don't think they will actually. I think Britain will mostly ma- maintain the neutrality, with you know sending maybe a few uh, what do you call it for, foreign legionaries? I believe they're called right for, foreign legion troops. Yeah, or just no volunteers. That's I'm sorry, volunteers. I think that Britain most likely would maintain neutrality in World War One, or if anything, they could potentially get involved in the German side. And, and now you're asking why? Number one, Russia is now a pretty big influence in the Far East, and I think that threatens their ally Japan. Who you're right is you're right to mention, Rohan, that it's very important that Japan could join the Central Powers. And we also leave, and also to answer your question on imperialization, and this will relate back to. Japan joining the Central Powers. Germany did not have a lot of really important colonies in Asia, or really in general. Probably the most important colony would be uh, the Harbor of Leh, which was in Papua New Guinea, like the top part of Papua New Guinea. I don't remember. I don't know what that province is called, but basically, it was the it was the port of the German. It was a it was the port of the German Pacific Fleet, actually. And it's pretty important. It's actually a pretty important base, and. I don't think the I don't think the Germans just have enough land in general to get the Japanese a big reward. But the French, meanwhile, they might not have as, they have more islands than the Germans, and they also have Indochina, which I know you didn't you didn't, I mean which you failed to mention just because of the fact that it's pretty important actually. I think that Indochina is would be very important for the Japanese to have because number one that reestablishes their land connection to China in some way. Maybe not as close as say Korea and Manchuria, but it reconnects them to Asia, and I do think that would also further their imperial ambitions. That's my it's just my take on it, though. Indochina is definitely one of the more important colonies. Sorry, not, yeah, for the colonies for the French in Asia. So Indo, so using Indochina to connection to China, as you said, Japan can definitely its imperial ambitions can get realized again, but. My issue with the British is that they hate the Russians, but they also hate the Germans. I mean, they'd probably join the Germans because the Russians, the Russians, a well, bigger it depends, country. It, well, it depends on how what you view view by uh, hating the Germans. So the thing with uh, Britain and and Germany, I do not, I do not think Britain will get involved unless it gets so one sided. Which, to be honest, knowing the German army, I don't. I think Germany could actually win the war. I'm just going to say that flat out. If Britain does not get itself involved in the Allies, I think Germany has an extremely high shot of winning the war, as a matter of fact. And it depends when this war, this alternate war would happen. Would it still happen with the assassination of France, France Ferdinand? Or would it happen sometime later? Because uh, just to mention this with World War One, that actually Germany said that they couldn't, they'd believe that Russia would become so powerful or so industrialized by 1916, they couldn't even beat them. So they that's that's part of the reason why Germany was also so militaristic. And I think we could actually see an earlier World War One, maybe around 1910, 1911. And I should have mentioned a, a specific uh, firing point, the Agadir crisis, which was thankfully averted, but only uh, <laughs> three years later, they started a war. Yeah, that's some good points, definitely. I mean, Britain neutrality... Yeah, and Britain also has an advantage in general when it comes to European affairs is that they're not directly in Europe. 
So unlike nations like, let's say, the Benelux region or France, they can choose not to get involved because they're an island and they have naval dominance of their home waters, so they can protect themselves in neutrality. I mean, they really have naval dominance all over the world, so it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if... Yeah, so that's why I said it's not even because... They would probably maintain neutrality, not because of the fact that they don't like the French or they they don't exactly are... Love the French. In fact, they're they're actually they agreed to an Anglo-French alliance around 1906, 1907. Forgot the exact date, but that might be the French. Sorry to interrupt, but I was just saying 1906, 1907. That just hit me. That could change with this war, actually, because this war ends in 1905. No, this is no. This was relating to. this is relating to uh, this is related to curbing the German threat. This is not related to uh, Russia. But I don't. But I. It's not because I think that Britain would maintain neutrality mainly because of the fact that they don't like Russia, but they also kind of like France. But Russia and France, you know, they're boys. You know what I mean? Allied. Allied. Yeah, my bad. So yeah, but I know I'm like repeating myself, but that's just my take on it. What about you, Tesh? Because you haven't really talked much about that. But your take on it. So my take is pretty simple. Um, I think like I don't have much as a deep understanding that like Nick has. Like he obviously did a lot of research between like Russia and British during that period of time. So he made a lot of strong points. I definitely do think that if he de- if the point of Nick saying that if British does not get involved in this alternate World War One, I, I totally think Germany is going to win the war, hundred percent. British support kept France in line. That is a hundred percent sure Germany would have won World War One in this alternate history if British does not get involved in World War One scenario. Okay. Yeah, but like like I was saying before, if we look at World War One in our actual scenario, you were talking about like the French morale. I think France collapses in nineteen seventeen right there and then because of the French mutinies at the time. Yep. Definitely. British kept uh france in line of the french immunities until america got involved but without british yeah, americans americans basically prevented that from Amer- like, yeah americans ended the mutinies but i'm saying like the british yeah kept france in line in our reality but without the british france mutinies would have completely destroyed the country and the army and germany would have probably won so one thing important to know is that i think france even in our timeline there were really Let's just say they on their own could not handle Germany. If it was just a 1v1 per se, France versus Germany, they would never have won. They would need British support. And I think the difference is, as everybody's saying, Germany is a lot more militaristic than France is. I believe France is somewhat of a democracy. Well, France, uh, Germany is more of a monarchy, authoritarian figure. But yeah, France, I believe, was underarmed, which is like... which why they needed British help to like hold the lines while they obviously mobilized troops and brought enough of their troops. And then, so without British support, I think French morale would fall really quickly. And the war, I wouldn't well, say yeah. it would be done quickly, but I think the war would be done and France would be out. 1916, I said. I said, I, like, instead of 1917, I think the mutinies occur one year later without the British help. And besides that, we'd see, uh, we wouldn't see many of the bloodiest battles in it. In British history, or actually world history, as a matter of fact, for example, the Battle of the Somme, that was a really bloody battle. That was because of the French, that was really German. Exactly. <laughs> Even worse. 
but like but like there's all there's other battles that were actually very important to to leading because of the Brit, the british entering into world war one for example the battle of verdun which ultimately led to the battle of the somme and but yada 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 but i think the one thing you also forget to mention which you which i think you personally uh kind of got wrong in this case rohan was the fact that france was actually a pretty still pretty militaristic at the time mainly because of the fact that the french were really still prideful of themselves didn't they weren't afraid of war. Like they're like any other European nation pre nineteen fourteen. They were, they were really optimistic. They really wanted a big war to happen, as you know, from the national, as you know, from the era of nationalism. So to wrap to wrap up this subject, I think we talk about the first years of what a German German dominated Europe would look like. What about you? What do you guys think? I think one of the see. I don't think Germany would, would definitely take some of France France colonies. But one thing important to know is that the German Empire is not really into colonies compared to like the French and the British. I think no, they'll take, I agree. It's only yeah, really, I'm just, it's really only middle it's only Middle Africa they want to form. That's what they would call it, Middle Africa. Yeah, so they would probably take some of those French colonies, but I think they'd take a little bit more of France because after the Franco-Prussian Wars, they already also already own Alsace-Lorraine, so they would definitely take more of France. But I think more than anything, they want influence. They want to be like the center of Europe. They, they don't want, you know, the, let's just say like, I'm going to call them the old nations for now. They don't want the old boys, you know, old nations to have it. They want to be the, the old like guard. The new, old guard. Yeah. They're the new guys in town and they want to be well known. They want to be, you know, the influencers now, not the old guard. What do you think, Tej? No, I just wanted to say before you talk, before Tej's adds on, I just want to add on with Japan specifically. We also forgot to mention them. I do think in terms of a treaty, I do think Japan would also be gifted uh, Indochina, like we mentioned. Yeah, I what well, I'll think that Germany will definitely create Middle Africa. We'll take some French land. I don't want to say a lot, just like maybe like a few provinces. I don't think that they would actually take any French land. That's just my opinion on it. I just I, think that I think they'll take a province or like I'll take. I'm saying I don't like, I'm taking take any. really. I say I actually think they will like want to like fortify their or it's like I have like this like mindset if like Germany did win against France, they want to like fortify their border, make their border against France stronger, so they will take some land. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm not stating that they'll take a lot of land. That's no, I'm no, saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm saying they're taking no no land whatsoever. Like I said before. Okay. And the reason why I stand by this is just because of the fact that the only reason why they took Alsace Lorraine originally was because of the fact that it had it was mostly German ethnicity, although they mostly spoke for, no, no. They were mostly of German ethnicity, although they were perfectly fine with being in France. As a matter of fact. And so I don't know if they would take any – I don't think there was any really – any major German areas in which would be hotly debated by the French. Otherwise, they were mostly French. <laughs> I don't know what else to add on because that's my opinion on it. It makes no sense for the, any, for the Germans to even take even a sliver of land of French Europe. Yeah, so what Ted was saying was um, – so I'm just going to go back to the Napoleonic eras for a second here. So Napoleon's strategy of conquering was to expand France so the heartland could be protected by having more land for the enemy to go to, basically. So what Tadj was trying to say was that the Germans would deploy something similar to Napoleon's strategy, where they would take more land in the enemy's land. So it's like, you know, a little more distance to get to the, their country's heartland. That's what Tadj was trying to say. 
But anyway, I think that's enough discussion for today. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah I, I think we had enough. Yeah, so um, thank you for listening. Um, any comments, suggestions, feedback, you can send to our Twitter, DM or comment, or at back to the past P1 for some time actually is that we have an email too so in case you'd rather not send on twitter you know again comment suggestions feedback constructive criticism if you'd rather not send on twitter if you don't have it or whatever you can send it to our email so our email is back to with the number being two instead of you know letter so instead of two it's the number two the past podcast at gmail.com again that's back to the number the past at podcast at gmail.com But yeah, again, thank you for listening. Um, Have a good day.